Good morning, everybody. I'm Jefferson Smith. You're listening to X-Ray. We appreciate you doing it. Let's start with news of my dad. And now it's time for News of My Dad, a show where we talk with the news with my dad. And here live, in studio, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I'm looking forward to a long trip today. You are headed out to Salt Lake City, yep, Utah, which is one of these 50 states, for a reunion of your old company. And are you looking forward to it? I really am looking forward to it. Who do you hope to there, see? There, there's something like 150 of us coming. Uh, many of them are coming, especially because it's a chance to say goodbye to my brother who founded the company and who has been diagnosed terminal and probably won't last till Thanksgiving. And he's not, he's not expected to be there, Actually, right? Actually, he's going to be there. Oh, really? He's going to be there. Oh, wow, okay. Yep, he, he, several of his kids are going, and so they've rented a van, which he'll be able to lie down. And, oh, wow. And they're going to make it. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize he was going to make it. Well, that's neat. Uh, well, Dad, Kate Brown will not call a special session to address the death penalty. Oregon House Republicans have elected a new minority leader. Portland has revealed nine new affordable housing projects. And in national news, we know that there are uh, fresh allegations, fresh disclosures of the whistleblower case with respect to Donald Trump. Where do you want to start? Well, do I get my shout outs? This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important (laughs) stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout out? I have three. Shout out inflation. First... I'm shouting out for Cokie Roberts. Cokie Roberts passed at age 75, day before yesterday, and she was just a marvelous journalist who was with NPR for a long time and then with ABC at NPR also. She was the daughter of a leader in the house, Hale Boggs. She was just a really neat human being, and I'm shouting out for her. I'm also shouting out for Sarah Thomas from Colorado, who in 54 hours swam across the English Channel four times. Four times. That's like like 130 miles because of the tides. It's 80-something miles in straight line because the tides, the estuaries, and that's just quite astonishing. And then I want to shout out for Colin Kaepernick and Wyden and Kennedy who got an Emmy for their ad, which Colin Ka- Kaepernick is saying, stand up for what you stand up for. Just under the banner of uh, pronunciation police, he pronounces it Colin. Colin, okay. Colin right. Kaepernick. It's all right. Well, Pop, Governor Kate Brown is not going to call a special session to adjust Even though Przanski really also. wanted her to. Uh, her decision came after support for the session failed to materialize in the House. In a statement, the governor said there's not appear to be support to ensure passage of a bill. 
I cannot justify the additional cost and time a special session requires. Without that support, I will not be calling the legislature into a special session this month. Brown's decision comes three weeks after the governor announced she was open to convening them to adjust the effects of Senate Bill 1013. That bill narrowed the state capital punishment laws. It's the biggest change to state's capital punishment laws in a long, long time. And under those changes, only aggravated murder would apply to terrorist attacks uh, that kill two or more people. So aggravated murder, which is the one, uh, the one conviction that can lead to the death penalty, would be narrowed uh, to apply only to terrorist attacks and terrorist attacks only that kill two or more people. So this severely restricts the death penalty. And by the way, for what it's worth, ends up restricting the death penalty to about what I think it should be, uh, <laughs> as, as it happens. Uh, the murders of children under 14 and law enforcement officers would, st- would remain under aggravated murder and killings by prisoners who've already been convicted of murder. The, and then the question is, well, what happens to people who are on death row now? What happens to people who have been convicted of uh, aggravated murder already? Uh, how much of this looks backwards versus only looks forward? Uh, the, uh, the governor said that support for a special session, and so that, you know everybody, I think a lot of our listeners know this, but the governor has the power. The legislature only sits for two sessions, one for about five months, four and a half months, and the other for about 40 days uh, each year. So uh, over two years, those two sessions, right? One in, in one year, it's the four and a half months, and the other year, it's just the 40 days. Uh, and she, But the governor can call a special session. The governor said, well, I'm only going to do that if we could actually get the bill to pass. If it's clear that we have the votes, it's not clear that there are the votes. So there aren't going to be tweaks about it. And she's right about the money, particularly when they're going to be back in session just in February of next year. And if it really needs to be fixed, they can fix it then. All right, Dad, what do you got? Well, I got a lot of I got a little bit international and a fair amount of national. But but since you mentioned it already, why don't we just talk a little bit about what's happened with the Republican caucus in Salem, which I find absolutely fascinating. It's a revolution of the freshmen. The freshmen have taken over the House caucus in the Oregon State Legislature. They have elected Christine Drazen, I don't know if it's Drazen or Drazen or Drazen, as the minority leader. She's a freshman from Canby. Daniel Bonham, a freshman from the Dalles, both of whom, if I understand correctly, well, well, one of whom was appointed, Lynn Findlay from Vail, who was just appointed last year as whip, which means that the three leading Republicans in the House of Representatives in Oregon have all served less than three years. And the institutional memory that they bring is zero. And maybe that's good for them. They have another thing that was uh, notable was that uh, was that the new uh, the new head of that 22-member uh, caucus uh, was, in fact, a voter in favor. One of the votes in favor, as as were, you know, of course, a majority of the uh, majority of the House in favor of the constitutional amendment on campaign finance reform. Uh, the and and she is a suburban Republican. Uh, she's a Canby Republican, as distinct from a uh, as distinct from a rural Republican, which right. which means that she has to try to get, you know, some you know moderate voters maybe. 
uh, to vote with her. It means that she wouldn't love to answer questions about Donald Trump. It means, you know, that, that she will try. And, and for people who don't know this, I guess people know how it works, that the way that the House uh, leadership is selected is they're elected by their colleagues. And usually the timeline for that selection is relatively short. Usually there's a relatively uh, quick period where politicking happens. Of course, that politicking can be happening all of the time in anticipation of that. But it includes, it basically consists of calling colleagues and saying, here's why I think I ought to be the whip. Here's why I I ought to be the caucus leader. And they make arguments. And the arguments usually come around, particularly when one is in the minority, I will help us win. I will help us win the majority. And, of course, an argument that Christine Drazen can use, uh, Representative Drazen can use, is that, well, Republicans haven't been winning. And so the fact that you have institutional memory, the fact that you've been part of the deal for a while, isn't necessarily a strong credential when you've got 22 members in your caucus out of 60, and before you and I started, uh, you know, at the time you and I started messing around with Oregon legislature uh, composition, we started campaigning in swing districts for legislative candidates. When the bus project was born, uh, it was 36 Republicans, to, or was it 35? 35 Republicans to 25 Democrats. So there's been an enormous swing in that time period, and the Republicans who have been leader in leadership during that swing and and more recently, you know, they don't have an impressive track record of winning majorities. And Carl Wilson, who was the minority leader, has said he is not going to run again. Uh, he, he indicated when he heard that there might be a battle that he was not going to go down easily, but whether he went down easily or hard, he went, he down. went down. But one of the interesting but also, things... But also, the, the, remember, the person who was the minority leader got appointed by Kate right, Brown to a position. Right, right. The interesting thing is that it appears from Scuttlebutt that the really big mover in all of this was Sean Gillians, who is a lobbyist who represents at least two of the most powerful interest groups in the state. And as I think about this, the lobby, the power of the lobby, is to a certain extent in direct ratio, inverse ratio, with the intelligence and the understanding and the moxie of the members. And I think that he must be just licking his chops and thinking these freshmen who are going to be asking for advice, and he's going to be willing to give it, that what this is is a big victory for the lobby. And and presumably his argument also is, hey, we need some fresh blood. We need some people who can start winning. Democrats have been winning too many elections in Oregon. We need somebody like you to help turn the narrative and help change the and help change the math on what's going to happen going forward. And, and that, if you don't do this, we just might not give you enough money. Right. And this, of course, and Sean Gillian's, of course, has not been an ally to limiting campaign contribution. No, uh, he's been an ally. Definitely in, not. And in, in, in having them. Uh, all right, Dad. Well, that is a that is a good story for us to be talking about. Uh, Multnomah County Tourism Board is expected to approve a different use of tourism dollars this week to pay for services to help homeless people to find housing. Uh, if approved, the county will get two and a half million dollars in 2020, and increase to five and a quarter million dollars by 2023. 
That's also in a backdrop of Portland revealing nine new affordable housing projects. Uh, the first housing affordability bond, which was approved by voters in 2016, and now $45 million of the bond will still be left over. That's out of $258.4 million uh, was pledged by the people who passed the bond. I, ho- I hope they do as well. I hope they do as well with those affordable units as they have done with Grant High School. That's all I'm saying. I know it'll be different people. Grant High School, at least on the outside, is beautiful. It looks fantastic. It really is. Have you been inside yet? No. Well, you got to do that. I graduated. I know you graduated. That's okay for you. I don't to have any more. I have more <laughs> classes I need to attend. Oh. Well, well, I, did, I had a I had a a fever dream. You know, a my my consistent for a long time. My consistent anxiety dream was waking up thinking I had missed entirely a, a final exam. And, and just for years, that was my anxiety dream. Do you know that's a very, very common anxiety dream? I did not know well, that. Well, that's a very common anxiety. One of my anxiety dreams has been the same thing in law school, where I've got an exam and I'm not ready for it. Yeah, it started out as a, it started out as a, uh, an undergrad, and then the dream changed a little bit to being a law school dream. And it may have gone back and forth. I don't remember. I don't take perfect notes on such things. And finally, I haven't had it in a while because because finally I woke up one morning and said, wait a minute, I graduated. I don't need to worry about missing a law school final. I can miss every single law school final for the rest of my life because I don't have one anymore. Yeah, yeah I, I read, I read a, a, an article a while back that revealed, talked about the common anxiety dreams. And that's that what made the really list? Yep. All right, Bob, what's next? Well, while we're talking about local, I do have some other international and national stuff, but we're talking about local and housing. Airbnb has agreed to provide information to the city about who the Airbnb folks are in the city, which is going to enable the city to go after the scoff laws. So if by any chance you who are listening to this right now and have been using Airbnb and have not complied with the Portland regulations requiring requiring examination and a a relatively small fee, suggest you do it so they don't catch you and give you a fine. Can I talk a little bit about international news? Well, sure. You want, you want to talk about Israel? I, I think we, that's what I wanted to start. Who yeah. is going to rule in Israel? The, the two major uh, parties each apparently elected 32 members in a 120-member Knesset. You've got to have 61 members to govern. So Netanyahu has proposed to his principal opponent, let's do this together. I don't think that's going to happen. And what the, the big thing is, is who are going to be the kingmakers? Is it going to be Mr. Lieberman, who is a leader of the secularists? Is it going to be the Arab folks who could have all of a sudden a great deal more power? And you know that the, the offerings that are being made by the two leaders they probably wouldn't want the world to know what's happening. The uh, the Israeli uh, the Israeli Knesset, the, its governing body, has lots of parties, and I I've gone through some of these before. But they have lots of parties and lots of parties with representation, right? I mean, there are, you know there are a number of parties in the United States with no representation, even in parliamentary systems. I would say Israel. I don't know of of other systems that have as much 
diverse uh, diversity it is, it, it of is, representation. It is quite remarkable. Because you have, not only do you have Likud, which is Netanyahu's party, which had 35 seats and just lost some more seats. And remember, the reason they had to have this, uh, this other election in the first place was because he didn't get a majority in the first place. He wasn't able to form a government. Not only did his party not get a majority, but he wasn't able to form a government after the last election. So and they had to do a redo. And, and he's lost three votes. And he's lost further. And he got and he came in second place apparently this time. Very, very close, but it looks like he came in second place. But you also have this blue and white party. Uh, you also have, and, and, and in fact, there are two, uh, two blue and white parties that may, did they come together? I think they may have come together, but this is Lapid and the Benny Gantz party. I'm not sure if they combined forces, but there are, not, there are three things labeled as blue and white parties. The Israel uh, Resilience Party, the Yesh Atid, and the Telem. There's also the Shas Party, which is a religious uh, conservative party, and that's and they have eight seats. The United Torah Judaism, which had four seats. United Torah Judaism Degel HaTorah with four seats. Uh, the Hadash Party with four seats. The Tal Party with two seats. Labor Party has six. The Israel Betenu Party with five. Meretz with four. Kulanu with four. The United Arab List Party with two. The United Arab List Ballad Party with two, the Union of Right Wing Parties with three, the Union of Right Wing Parties National Union Takuma with two. I know I probably messed up a couple of those pronunciations, and forgive me, but it is. But it's not like oh, there's two parties that have pretty close to majority, and then a couple of no, no, everybody's got <laughs> no, like they've got they've two got to a six. they've got to suck up to so many people. No, it's chaos. It's chaos and. The, the good news about a parliamentary system, the good news about a system that allows multiple parties, there can be multiple parties. It doesn't pretend that the world is binary, that everybody who thinks one thing, who, who thinks that there ought to, that the death penalty should or shouldn't be the thing, should therefore have the same views, uh, uh, corresponding views on abortion, which tend, you know, some would say people tend to have opposite views on those issues. But there, the bad news is it can be hard to make a government. The good news is you get, you know, diversity of parties. The bad news is you got diversity of parties. Yes, yes. Brexit. As we speak, the 11 judges of the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom is winding up oral arguments, which have been going on for three days, over whether or not Boris Johnson was within the unwritten limits of the British Constitution in proroguing Parliament and also kind of a side thing, did he lie to the Queen when he got her to issue that edict? And keep, keep your eye on your computer because I don't think they will rule today. I suspect they'll want to talk about it to maybe rule tomorrow or maybe even the first of the week. But if by any chance after the oral argument is done, they rule today. Since it's seven hours later, it's uh, in the middle of the afternoon in London right now, could happen while we are talking. Dad, we're going to start doing an election segment. I'm hoping that we can pull together an intro for that election segment, but we're going to start having an election segment pretty much starting right now. <laughs> Where it actually, because so often we organize things by geography, but that's not necessarily how our minds are organized. And geography is not the only way to think about the world, but elections 
are happening and are deeply important, and a lot of our listenership cares about things like elections. In fact, specifically elections, there are a few things I want to point out. Would there be? Would this be a good time for me to point out that the what workers, workers working, family party working families party? I was going to start Warren. there. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, they endorsed Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, with some blowback. There, there are Bernie Sanders supporters who, in fact, I, I've. They endorsed they endorsed Bernie last time, right? And I've used I've seen words like betrayal, and I'm like it's not like if they had endorsed if the Working Families Party had endorsed Joe Biden, know, Paul Ryan, that would have been a well. Betrayal. No, I mean even like it's it's they got a hard choice. They got a hard choice because if you're picking a Democratic primary, you're going to be picking among people who have strong labor records. You're going to be picking among and if you're picking between uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. You're also picking between people who have really robust yeah. plans. And Cory Booker. Really robust plans for the middle class and the working class in the United States of America. Uh, it is, I, I do think it is an enormous thing. I do think it is, uh, I don't know if it's a canary in the coal mine or if it's a, a driver of the coal mine, but I do think it's important. I, I think that the, not only indicated by the disappointment of Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, but that does it look to you? Uh, does it look to you like? Uh, does it? Ch- I, I put it this way: Does it change your outlook on the likelihood of Elizabeth Warren becoming the Democratic nominee? It kind of reinforces it because you kind of think she might be the nominee. I do. Yeah, I do. I, I th- because for for better and for worse, the length of the campaign. I mean, there was a time when somebody didn't decide he, and it was always he in those days, mm-hmm. going was going to run for president, would happen in January or even February of the year of the election. Now it happens two, three, how many years before the election. But that allows time for the exercise of what Pope called the sober second sense of the people, for people to learn about and talk about and think about what the candidates really stand for. And Elizabeth Warren has is so smart and is also so significantly not running to be president, but running because of what she wants to do as president. And that's a hugely important aspect when you're wanting, thinking who you're going to support for any political office, is he or she running because he wants to be or she wants to be or because they want to do? And if they want to do, do they know what they want to do? And do I like what they want to do? And just I think that she looks better and better as it goes on. This is also a chance to do a quick poll review. Two polls out in the last couple of days. Uh, the Economist, well, there's a Fox News poll that I'm paying a little bit less attention to. Uh, but the there's an Economist poll that has, both the Economist poll and the NBC Wall Street Journal poll have worn within five points of Biden in the national vote, which is the closest, by, like, the closest anybody's come to him this whole time. The Economist has it 26 uh, to 21, uh, Biden to Warren, and then 14 for Sanders, 9 for Buttigieg, 6 for Kamala Harris, and then everybody else down 3, 2, and 1. Uh, NBC Wall Street Journal poll, 31 for Biden, 25 for Warren, still also 14 for Bernie Sanders, uh, the and then 7 for Buttigieg, 5 for Kamala Harris, uh, and then everybody, with, with only then uh, Yang, who got 4, who crept up above the 3-point the line. 
the uh, and so anything when you're you know between one and four when you're between 21 and 26 it's still pretty close to margin of error kind of stuff but it the 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 challenge I've seen for Bernie Sanders from the beginning is it seemed hard for me to understand how his level of support would grow. After the primary of 2016, in the same way people are saying, how could Hillary Clinton possibly run again? The people who decided not to vote for her are not going to change their mind. One could argue about that, but that was the case that was made. The same argument can be made to Bernie Sanders. with this, Well, he didn't get a chance. Maybe if he had won the primary, he could have been the president. But it's, but it's hard to imagine after that primary and how uh, nasty uh, some there was back and forth and how nasty. I mean, I know a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters who have remained really strongly held feelings about how they were treated personally by Bernie Sanders supporters. It is hard for me to imagine a lot of people who voted for Hillary Clinton, which was the majority of Democrats, turning around and voting for Bernie in the primary. It's hard for me to imagine understanding how he would build his base. So I haven't really seen a theory of the case of how Bernie Sanders would, would win. And I can see how the argument, well, maybe he has such strong organizing power. He did such a strong, he did an amazing job building a movement. He had such a remarkable campaign that maybe all of those human beings could individually persuade other human beings. Uh, but my own analysis, my own hunch, was that he already sort of had reached even far past his, his ceiling. And he'd also had a little help. We don't like to admit it, but he had a little help from some of the, sa- you know, some of the same Russian bots that were, that were helping Donald Trump. And it wasn't clear if they were going to help him. And now more of the Russian bots have been helping Tulsi Gabbard. So it just seemed to me like he might have a little bit of a ceiling. Elizabeth Warren, for some of us, I mean, she was the candidate I hoped ran uh, back in 2016 and even had a meeting on the subject. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, think, I think Elizabeth Warren might be the nominee. Pop. Yeah. What do I know? Uh, and and what I think is liable to happen, there will be the hardcore Bernie supporters who are saying betrayal and who are not going to win. And you them. voted for Bernie in the primary last indeed. time, sure. I did indeed. But as 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 she continues to creep up, and I so think, did I. I think clear. the Bernie supporters are going to start hemorrhaging. It's and, and already you're seeing. Well, I should say the support for Bernie is going to start happening. And that's that's the thing I also don't know that that there is so much strong support for, right? And he demonstrated he demonstrated political courage in ways that so few uh, nationally relevant politicians had. He was willing to uh, speak and speak eloquently and stridently about a transformation of the economic system. Doing that, in fact, doing that. On this radio station, every Friday with Tom Hartman, prior to him uh, being a candidate for president, that, uh, that that he has such strong goodwill built and such a strong uh, movement that is built. I also don't know how low his floor is, right? I, that, that, I mean, I follow some people are like, there, there's folks who say Bernie or Armageddon. I also think that's like a Russian troll line, right? I and mean, it's like, yeah, they, because there's people who are getting engaged in these elections who what they want is Armageddon and any excuse for Armageddon. And they've infiltrated any number of movements in the country online because it's so easy to do now on Reddit and Twitter. But uh, and, and, you know, don't count me in the Armageddon group and count me in the let's do what we can to avoid Armageddon group. But I don't know how low his floor is. Before, before we get completely away from international, I just we, we, we are away from, we are in the election section. Dan. Okay, but okay. we're in election section. All right. Is, is it about elections? Okay. What else do we have to talk about in the election section? Before we get away from international, <laughs> news, we're, we're going to improve that four hundred fifty-three. Excuse me, four hundred fifty thousand people 
have entered uh, Andrew Yang's uh, Andrew Yang's contest get their ten thousand dollars a month, including at least one friend of mine. Uh, when he went up during the debate and said, you know, log on, log on, and you too can get $1,000 a month for you, and he offered it to 10 families. Uh, Which is probably in violation of at least the Oregon statute on rewarding people financially for their vote. Buttigieg, who, uh, who is one of the candidates, again, it, it's hard for me right now to see how a candidate jumps into the top three, but one way it could happen is if somebody, if somebody somehow could get third in an early state, okay, it, it's hard. Let me say, can you paint a scenario where anybody other than Biden, Warren, or Sanders ends up as a true competitor? I mean, we got a ways away still. Yeah, I can. Okay, what's that? Give, give us a scenario. That would be that each one of them gets 25%, and a fourth person gets. 15% and everybody else divides up to 10. That means that the press is going to have to keep talking about that fourth person when they go to New Hampshire. And if that something similar happens in New Hampshire, that person is going to have to keep talking when they go to South Carolina. And that could, that, that's how it might happen. It, it has started to feel like many of the candidates beyond those three are running for offices other than you know, running for positions other than President of the United States, running for Vice President, running for Secretary of State, you know, running for a future Senate race. And that's not to disparage them, right? But they're they're continuing it because they've got a group of supporters and they've got uh, or, or they're Pete, running for their cause. Or or Pete could be could be running for twenty twenty eight. And almost certainly is. And almost certainly is. I mean he's he if the campaign ended right now, Pete Buttigieg would have accomplished a significant amount. He'd become the highest profile mayor in the country, I think. Right, maybe Bill De Blasio is about is about similar. He runs a big, much a vastly bigger city. Bloomberg, the former mayor, is pretty high profile. But I suspect that Buttigieg right now has higher name familiarity than De Blasio. I think he probably does. Right, mm-hmm. I don't know if he has as much and as name familiarity is Bloomberg. where it starts. The uh, but Buttigieg did just get an endorsement of sixty mayors and ex mayors. Uh, didn't get somebody. D- didn't get Indianapolis, uh, and didn't have uh, didn't have the a lot of the biggest cities but has started making this case. And part of his case, listen, mayors solve problems. Right? Mayors don't just pass bills. Mayors have to implement those bills. Mayors have to address re- issues ranging from uh, from a pothole to a housing complex to actually figuring out the zoning to actually addressing crime. They have to run a government. They have to run a government. All right, Ed, you got anything else on the election front? Uh, not this moment, but I've got something we got to talk about a little bit, <clears throat> and that's Iran. Well, let's let's do that after our break. Okay. You're listening to X-Ray. I'm Jefferson. We want to say thanks to all of our sponsors. We want to say thanks to all of our listeners. We can't do it without you. If you've got stuff you want to uh, um, you want to tell us about, you can text us at nine seven one two two zero five nine seven nine. It's nine seven one two two zero five nine seven nine. If there's an election story you want us to cover. Or if there's something else that you think we need to try to understand a little bit better, please do let us know. We appreciate you. And radio is yours. All right, Dan. Your turn. Can I talk about Iran? Let's do it. 
are we going to let Saudi Arabia decide whether or not we go to war? But the interesting thing is, all this saying, where did the where did the missiles come from? Where did the drones come from? I don't pretend to be an expert in Middle East geography, but I can read a map. And if I if my reading of the map is correct, for those drones and those missiles to have struck where they struck, and to have come out from Iran they would have had to cross about 200 miles of water over the Persian Gulf. And we have a fleet in the Persian Gulf, and that fleet has all kinds of radar. And we also have AWACS airplanes, radar airplanes, flying, I think, 24-7 around there. And the notion that a drone or a missile capable of carrying big enough to carry munitions that created the destruction that Saudi refinery that they did could make that trip without being detected to me she's either one of two things either we know that they did or didn't or our radar isn't as good as we thought it was in which case we should be scared awful less so I'm going to really interested to see how if that ever shakes out. And then I have I have a couple of national factoids that I would like to show. Can I give some factoids? Factoid away. Two. Gitmo. There are presently forty prisoners in Gitmo. That in Guantanamo. From the. 20, when you know it like you do, it's Gitmo. What? Doesn't matter. Go on. They're 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 down to forty prisoners. The cost of maintaining those prisoners per year is about $540 million, which means those prisoners are costing us $13 million per person per year. I say let's give them a, let's give them a million dollars to promise that they'll just be good and shut that sucker down. Another factoid. A Syracuse University study says that there is about a one million person backlog in the immigration applications. One million. That's pretty scary. And then also it appears that the Air Force has landed at Prestwick at least 40 times, at least 40 different times they've gone into Prestwick. That's Donald Trump's airport. The airport that's, that's, that's keeping that's keeping that's alive. Yeah. The, the airport that's keeping alive yep. is Turnberry Estate. And I think we should mention that this, the climate strike is happening tomorrow. A lot of teenagers are going to walk out of school. A lot of people are going to celebrate. The, and, and we should probably shout out again for Greta Thunberg, who has, who is just really a wonderful human being. And she's quick, and she's smart, and she's modest really effective. Well, that political article saying that Donald Trump finally has the administration he's always wanted. He's finally been able to find it. And I, you know, this is something I said when we first started covering this president, that part of his challenge of being different than the, uh, being new to this, now I'm going to try to use neutral terms. Being new to this and not 
serving in government and representing a constituency that was not fully represented in the halls of elected power was and, that and certainly felt that it was not that there wasn't the obvious gang that he could immediately select there weren't enough trump loyalists with uh and by the way Barack Obama had an overlapping challenge a lot of the people that Barack Obama had particularly in his first term were former Clinton staffers and the reason was well who are you supposed to get who do you have that knows government? Who do you have that has, when you look at the resume, when you make it through the interview, who do you have that can make it through the interview and seem like they could actually do the job? Who knows where, who knows where the bathroom is? And those are probably people who've done it before. And if you're a Democrat, the last person who you had a chance to hire somebody for it would be, Obama, would be Clinton if when you were Obama. And similarly, Donald Trump has hired folks from the Republican apparatus. But now he's been able to whittle away at people who were sort of apparatus-first folks and starting to get uh, more of a crew that seems just like Trump loyalists. And his new national security advisor is is probably going to be just one more example of a toady for him. His biggest attraction, I think, for, for DDT is that he wrote a book, and in the book he poured lavish praise upon the president. And he's, and just for a reminder, he's been through four national security advisors, three chiefs of staff, three directors of Oval Office operations, and five communications directing, uh, five communications directors. Uh, so, you know, anybody now didn't, might not have as much experience. Well, Bob, we got a few more minutes left before you are going to head off to Salt Lake City, Utah. What do you got next? Well, just some quick hits for, for national stuff. The whistleblower is looking like it may turn into a real scandal. The question is, who is the whistleblower blowing the whistle on? And it looks like it may be the president who the whistleblower says was revealing secrets to some foreign body. Oh, yeah, this is important. Who could that be? This is really important. Who could that be? And Joseph McGuire, the acting, no longer acting, but who was the acting NSA person, said, oh, no, that's that's privilege. We can't supply that. And the law says they have to supply that. And this is one more example of the battle that is happening between whether or not we're going to have a king with a legislature which really doesn't amount to much and does nothing but pass budgets that the king asked for, or is Congress going to exercise its constitutional responsibilities? And at what point... Are Republican members of Congress going to have a greater loyalty to the Constitution and a greater loyalty to the public good than they are to sucking up to the DDT base that is controlling the Republican Party? We'll see. Some other Congress things that are worth mentioning. Our own Ron Merkley has obtained seven point. Wait a minute. Which, you want to talk about that? No, I want to know which senator you mean. Do you mean Ron Wyden or do you mean Jeff Merkley? You said Ron Merkley. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah, I mean, that's all try, right. I just try, want to know which one. Try Jeff Merkley. Try Jeff Earl Merkley. Bonamici. <laughs> oh, it's funny uh, what, what our minds do sometimes. It's all right. He's obtained $7.8 million for opioid uh, responding to the opioid crisis in Oregon. The uh, Ron Wyden, I got that one right, has introduced the heightened 
Oversight of Travel, Eating, and Lodging Bill. Now, why did they come with that? Because it gives the acronym HOTEL. And what the hotel bill will do is make it difficult, if not impossible, for Donald Trump to anymore be getting the Air Force to land at his airport. Cuck up the money. And an interesting question while we're talking about DET, is Cyrus Vance going to get his taxes? Stand firm. Let's watch. And then Corey Lewandowski, that is another example of whether or not at some point there are any Republican members of Congress who have the courage to stand up for the power of Congress, or are they just going to suck up and let Corey Lewandowski get away with giving the finger, and I use that intentionally, giving the finger to the Congress of the United States. And just one last mention. Susan Collins, who loves to be always talked about as a moderate, she was she spoke out against the transfer of money to build the wall. She spoke out against it. Senator Leahy offered an amendment to a bill that would ban that transfer. Guess how Susan Collins voted? Oh dear. She voted against that amendment, which Harry Reid had a great comment about Susan Collins. Talking about her vote, he said, she is always there when you don't need her. <laughs> yeah, too much of it is performative. Too much of her nod to being a different kind of Republican is performative. And her race will be one of the most important races in the country to determine the fate of the U.S. Senate and the fate of American government. Dad, it is, uh, workers at Oregon's public universities have voted to authorize a strike. SEIU made the announcement on Tuesday on behalf of its 4,500 members in those fields. The Portland neighborhood has rejected annexation to Lake Oswego after a contentious special election. Uh, a recent vote in Southward, Southwood, excuse me, Southwood Park voted to oppose annexation by nearby Lake Oswego. A lot of them were really, really ticked off that it was even, that they were even asked to vote on it. When you're talking about ta about strikes, also... And to be mentioned. clear, the vote count was 240 no and 145 yes. It's not an enormous neighborhood. And uh, talking about strikes, the Kaiser employees na nationwide have voted to authorize a strike, and that would involve about 6,000 employees in Oregon. That's of some significance. I do want to mention the Navy has admitted that they do have records of what they call unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs. I think they're using that so they are, don't use UFO, which we talk about a lot, but that there really have been phenomena that nobody is able to explain. Is it time for my straw in the wind? It is indeed. Well, I have two straws in the wind. First. Oh, I love that music. The governor of New Mexico is proposing free college for all residents of New Mexico. And if that makes it through the legislature, that will be a big Easy straw in the wind. Easy for you to say. And then the other straw in the wind, the Virginia Theological Episcopal Seminary has voted to create a $1.7 million endowment fund to be used to pay reparations to the descendants of the slaves who built the seminary's buildings. 
that could be a really big straw in the wind. Well, Bob, we did it again. And we'll be back on Monday. Love you, Dad. Love you, too.